Life's a plate of cookie dough And you can try to eat it slow But you can miss it out So do it and set it and work out Hey, what's up? I'm Dope's fearless leader and sober entrepreneur, Kelsey Moreira. Each episode, you'll hear raw conversations that feed your soul with entrepreneurs, movers, shakers, and honestly, just plain badasses. These are awesome humans who have navigated life's challenges and are creating a bright future. So let's dig in. You're listening to Dope's Soberpreneur. Super excited to have you on today, Jill. Thank you to our mutual friends over at She Recovers Foundation, our Dope for Hope beneficiary, for introducing us. Their co-founder, Don, kept gushing over you as some sober fellow founder that I must meet. So you are the founder of Fatso, a nut butter company working to bring better nutrition to more people. It is insanely delicious. I have already slammed like half of my entire order that you sent me. The salted caramel peanut butter is like, I want to rub it on my face. (laughs) It's so good. And the best part is your company is on a mission to drive change surrounding social justice matters. Super stoked to learn more about your journey into sobriety and the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. So with that, Jill Van Jean, a big giant warm welcome to Sober Printer. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for giving me some pointers on how to properly pronounce your name. That came out (laughs) flawless there. So at Dope, we've got our Dope for Hope pledge. So instead of the like, I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Good. One part of that pledge is to answer straight up when someone asks, how are you? Are you going to take the pledge? Keep it real with me. Give me one high and one low from the last week. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of like being honest about where I'm at being in entrepreneurship and a mom, I would say a low this week is just like really difficult family dynamics. I live on a farm with my parents, my husband and our two-year-old. So family dynamics can be a challenge. So underneath the like whole like, yay, I'm at work. Things are like, okay. I'm kind of like, how am I going to navigate this on a day-to-day basis? And then my high point would be, I just came back from a really awesome vacation. My sister was out from Toronto, which was amazing. I have an identical twin sister who's also in recovery. So she was out and she got to spend time with my son. So, you know, good family dynamics, complicated family dynamics. It's a whole thing. It was the good and the bad. Yeah. (laughs) That's all what family is about, right? Like they're the high and the low. So in their own ways crazy nugget you just dropped. I mean, one, you have an identical twin. Always cool. People ask like a thousand questions. I'm sure you're like, (laughs) if someone even looks remotely curious, you just probably rattle off like the four answers to the most common questions they're about to ask. But I find it very interesting that you're both in recovery. So we're going to talk a little bit today about your journey into sobriety, but how fascinating that your sister as well. So an identical twin and you both wound up in recovery. We'll have to touch on this. I need to know more. Yeah. 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 It's been interesting. I mean, like, as an identical twin, we we share a lot of the same experiences. Addiction was definitely one of them. We had similar paths to recovery. We've had different complications along the way, but yeah, we were in addiction together and separately. Me living away from our like hometown and stuff. It had its challenges for sure. I mean, like you don't just get clean and then everything is okay. There's so much repairing and healing to do in that, but yeah, I've been really fortunate and she's got, gosh, she's going to have eight years this year and I'll have 11 years in August. So yeah, it's been, it's been really good for the two of us for sure. Yeah. What a neat like extra connection between the two of you now to share something so positive. And my, my husband's in recovery too. We actually, uh, Hey kids, don't do this, but we met in rehab. (laughs) 
Classic. <laughs> Someone was just saying recently, like, there's a reason they have separate gender rehabs because everyone will like fall in love and get married before they leave. But I'm glad it yeah, worked yeah, out yeah. for you guys all these years later. Tell me a little bit about your recovery journey. Like, I don't need to go into the dirty details. I mean, if you... I want all of the dirty details. <laughs> Spare no dirty details. We love them. Share it. That's the real stuff. So I had been in and out of addiction my since I was about 14, 15. What was the drug of choice? Early on, math and party drugs, whatever I could get my hands on. This is like, this is going to date me, obviously. But yeah, 90s rave scene was sort of my jam. So it was whatever I could get my hands on. I had some scary experiences. And like, I was brought up in like a really, like, really well off family. We had all these privileges and we had a lot of things afforded to us. And I ended up in some really scary situations. And I just remember thinking like, this doesn't feel like this is not jiving for what I thought my life would be like which is when I made the decision to move out to Montreal and pursue like a degree, go to school. How old were you then when you decided to go to school? 19. Okay. Yeah. I barely graduated high school. I was always really academically minded though. Like I, I actually enjoyed school when I was lucid enough to participate. And then I, when I moved out to Montreal, I got into the poli-sci program there. And uh, things kind of cooled down for a while. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I had found my own cadence. Like I was away from my family, away from my twin sister too. Like those identity issues can be really challenging for a twin, particularly when you mix addiction into it. So going into that degree program, I really found a passion for international affairs and did pretty well. It was when I stopped, when I finished my degree, that I shifted really heavily over to booze. I just kind of thought like I did this thing. Like I I did the degree, like now I'm going to party. Not like I'd ever really stopped, but now I'm going to party. And I had to like, it was an interesting couple years out in Montreal and things just started to slip. I just started to slip deeper and deeper and deeper into uh, really severe alcoholism and just sort of embracing this party lifestyle that I thought I wanted. And I met someone who brought cocaine into my life. And I don't blame him for it because I was more than happy to do it. And yeah, it just kind of, kind of, I took it from there. Like it just was a full mental collapse situation. The amount of alcohol I was drinking a day was obscene. I couldn't function at all without alcohol in my body at any point during the day. And now managing that with cocaine just really started to have a really severe impact on my mental health. Were you trying to hold a job through that? No, not really. Kind of like here and there, like bartending, waitressing, obviously not great spots for me to be in, getting Mm -hmm. fired or getting busted drinking on the job. So it was just a really messy time in my life. I just had no sense of self, like zero sense of self. I didn't know who I was, what I wanted, how I would get out of this. I was definitely suicidal. I had a couple of suicide attempts around that time. One being right before I went to treatment for the first time. And what was interesting about that period was like, I just could not wrap my head around getting clean. I didn't understand how people did it or lived without this. I just thought like, this is who I am. This is my nature. I am one of these people that must have drugs and alcohol in order to function. I'm sorry. I know it's shitty, but it's just how I'm going to have to live my life. So I went to treatment, treated it like a joke, relapsed. It got so bad so fast. My body was shutting down. I was in and out of detox. I was suicidal again. And it culminated with an arrest after totaling my car at about 10 o'clock in the morning. And 
I just remember like I was like trying to resist arrest. I just remember like I was like on the pavement. I had like a cop's knee in my back. And I just had this strange moment because I was wasted, but I'll never forget it. It was the first moment in my life that I thought the idea of getting clean was less scary than going out again. It wasn't like this big profound lightning bolt for me. All it was, was for these brief moments of time, my body and my brain were telling me like, hey, if you go out again, you're going to die or I'm going to end up in jail. So I got bailed out and I drank that night. And I think I drank for the next three nights. I can't quite remember. It was pretty bad. But my aunt came and took me back to treatment. And that brought me to that period of time where the staff were like, hey, you can either stay here and go to this government recovery house or you can get out. And I was like, fuck you guys. I'm going. I don't want to be here. And I remember I walked out into this big hall where we used to have these meetings and I stopped and I was having this like full adult tantrum. And I had that feeling again where it was like, oh my God, if I leave this treatment center right now, like I'm going to die. Like there is no turning back. And so I went to this government fund recovery house at 30 years old, stayed there for three months. And I kind of did like a 12 step program out of spite. Like I didn't want to be there. In my brain, I was like, I'm going to do everything you tell me. I'm going to get a sponsor. I'm going to do the steps. I am going to be of service. I'm going to go to a meeting every day for 90 days. And at the end of that, I'm going to go out because I'm going to show you it doesn't work. And the fucked up thing was, is like, it worked. Surprise. (laughs) I didn't want it to work. I just did those things so that I could find a way out. And that's really where my recovery journey began so interesting. It's like all these little chips away at it. You know, you said you didn't have one lightning bolt moment or whatever, but it's kind of like you just had a lot of like very small electrocutions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Electroshock therapy. Exactly. Yeah. Like I would just, let's just not do this again. I don't want to keep getting shocked. Let's try something. And then hilarious that out of spite to see if the program would work. It actually, it actually stuck. Like, if you could go back to day one, what would you tell Jill in that moment? it's cliche, but it just gets so much better. That's been something I've heard year over year over year from every aspect of recovery is that it does get better. I've watched friends go out in more recent years. I watched a lot of people die and, you know, I hate to say it, but those are some of the things that keep you in recovery. I've just had a really fortunate recovery journey because of where it's got me. My recovery journey though, it's been hard, not in that I've needed to stay clean, but just the like the sheer realities of life have been a real challenge for me for a number of different reasons. Like really having to feel the feels through everything you go through, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that was, that's been like the big overarching theme in the past 10 years is like, hey, Joe, like you're clean and you have all of these like skills and privileges and it still is not going to guarantee you happiness or anything that you need to fulfill your life with. And despite that, I have found my way to happiness and fulfillment. But that journey was incredibly difficult. So you're in recovery, you've gotten sober. What's now this origin story for Fatso? How did you wind up opening this business? So I decided I was going to go do a master's degree. And it was an interesting time for me because free of any drugs or alcohol and with like a real determination to do well, whether that came from a healthy place or not. I did really well. I graduated top of my class. I went and lived in Northern Uganda for six months to do my research and got published. I got this chancellor's award for graduating top of my class. 
But in between the time I started doing my research and graduating, I started to realize that a master's degree does not guarantee you a job. I had this like really harsh truth kind of like land on me, which is like, this isn't going to work out the way you thought it was going to work out. So after that, I spent a year and a half really, really unemployed and really angry at the world. I felt like I had done what I was asked to do. Like I got clean. I got married. I went back to school. I did all the things I was told to do and I still couldn't come up with a good job. And that put me into a really, really deep depression. It was so similar to the feelings I had at the very end of my addiction where I wasn't suicidal, but I also was really tired of existing because I was just like, fuck, like, what, am, what am I doing? Like, what is out there for me? And that was, you said before, is just like feeling all those feelings. It was like I was going through the end of my addiction and spiraling in this like super dangerous way, but I didn't have like a bottle of vodka or cocaine to like cover that up. What did you use to cope and like kind of make it through, navigate that without the drugs or alcohol? A 12-step program. Honestly, I, I mean, I relied on that heavily during that period of time. At that time, like I was sponsoring a lot of women and really heavily involved in service, particularly in uh, what we call PR. So that deals directly with institutions and hospitals and also outside organizations like medical institutions being really involved with, you know, the public side of our program. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that really helped me a lot. I, I mean, I had a very supportive, I, sorry, I didn't have, I have a supportive husband. He's still with me. <laughs> But it's so interesting, like that period of my life, I had stopped trying. I was like, hey, like, I'm not getting hired. I'm not going to get the job that I want. So I need to start looking for something else. I'm like, this degree that I did, worthless. It's fine, everyone. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. I ended up taking a job at a local health food restaurant. It was a friend of mine who was at my CrossFit gym, actually owned this health food restaurant. And he wanted somebody to come help him franchise the restaurant. It paid some bills and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next with my life. And we used to sell this peanut butter that was called Fatso. And the owners would come in and drop off like a case of 12, like once every two months. And the concept was amazing, right? Like plant-based super fats in this peanut butter. It tasted awesome. The name was super cute. We could never keep it in stock. I've tracked down the owners and said, hey, I'd love to buy in. I'd love to help you with all of this. And they turned me down. But I just remained like so interested in this company because it was such a cool idea. So then one day I got a call and they're like, you're going to be interested to know that Fatso was seized by our local health authority citywide because I guess they had been making it like out of their house or basement or whatever oh, man. without like an actual license. So I went back to them and I was like, hey, you guys need somebody to take this input off your hands because you got nowhere to go with it. And they let it go for about the price of a used car. And if it hadn't worked out, I would have paid too much for it. (laughs) I got the rights to the name, the recipe, all their suppliers, and a couple stand mixers to make it. So I started making it out of the back of this health food restaurant, which was a disaster. It's very messy. Peanut butter, as you know. You're talking like a KitchenAid stand mixer or do you have a Hobart? Like they had... That's right. Two of them going. Nice. At the same time. Nice. These dueling mixers. And like, just like, you know, making this product and like using like literally like a scale and a ladle to like pour the peanut butter in and like sealing the jars. 
And like, I was making like three cases every like three hours. Like it was just ridiculous. So yeah, I spent about three months rebuilding like retail relationships, being like, Hey, new owner, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring this product back in. Would you be interested in listing it? I had like no experience with this. So I was just like stumbling into stores, just being like, Hey, this is this product, but it had a bit of a reputation in town, which was great. So I had something to go on. And then I just started to build up a social media following. I started to do all that minutia of like registering the business and figuring out insurance and trademarks and all this stuff that I had just no experience in. And luckily, because I have a really strong research background, I was able to kind of figure out my way to all of these more sort of difficult bureaucratic tasks that you had to do. And then in uh, November 2016, I launched Fatso. And I spent a couple months really building it up. And then I shifted to a co-manufacturer because I had had enough <laughs> making it in the back of this health food restaurant. And just covered in peanut butter, I'm sure. Like, it's so hard to get off, right? <laughs> I am not like a graceful or coordinated person either. So you can imagine it was like, <laughs> it was not a good scene. So yeah, moved to a co-manufacturer, obviously had a lot of challenges with that. That's really the, that origin story of Fatso worked with a nutritionist to refine the recipe and really make it our own. I didn't know how to do any of this. I didn't have a broker. I didn't have distribution. And I didn't want to pay for that because I didn't have the money yet. So I would just pack up my car. I could fit 73 cases in the back of my car, plus a demo kit. And I would drive. For those of you who are not familiar with our area in, in Canada, I live in a capital city on an island, which is of decent size. And then we have Vancouver, which most people will be familiar with, which is we have to take a ferry over. So I'd get in my car, take this ferry and like literally pound the pavement, like just going in to the back of retailers, pitching this product like a fucking traveling salesman. And when I got listings, I would start to demo. And I did that every weekend for two years. Got into Whole Foods that way. And I was actually backing my vehicle into the Whole Foods receiving bay for a while until they said, you can't do that anymore. You have to get distribution. I was just going to say, yeah, did you get a distributor? You were trying, you were doing direct. Oh, so funny. Mm-hmm. And for all the other retailers as well, you were just like, look, I'll bring it to you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I went and did our version of Shark Tank up here, which is called Dragon's Den and had a, an amazing experience with that. You would know. Kevin O'Leary, did you, did you deal with him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mr. Wonderful was on there. Yeah. As intimidating as he looks on TV. <laughs> right. Yeah. We had a much cooler headed cast for my Dragon's Den. But yeah, it was a super fun experience for me. And I uh, did really well. I got offered a deal. And then behind the scenes, I went back to them and was like, how about double the money and I'll give you half of what you asked for for the company. And I never heard from them again, which was fine because it wasn't a good deal. But but uh, that was with... Um, At least you stuck your ground on like, this is not a good deal. I need to turn things around. Yeah. What was it originally? What'd you take on TV? It was 150000 for like 20%. I can't remember because I just remember being up there and being like, I'm going to say yes to this, but also I don't, I think I can negotiate a better deal behind the scenes because I knew that it wasn't set in stone. I just wasn't to be. And they also wanted me to sign a contract saying that I wouldn't find any other outside investors for six months. And if I did, they would own 2% of my company. And I was like, I don't have time for that. I need to find investors now. So I ended up taking on investors out here in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. They're local guys, uh, super great. So we started with that. And in 2018, one of those investors asked me if you could hire anybody 
to bring onto your team, who would it be? And I had another like quirky side route story for this, but I had sold my vehicle to this guy's father-in-law and they came over to the house and I was talking to this guy, Steve, and I said, and I used to do this and I still do this to this day. Anytime like a delivery person comes, the plumber, tradespeople, whoever's in, everybody gets a jar of fatso because I know I have, I get a customer automatically with that because it's a good product. So I gave a jar of fatso to Steve and turns out that he had been the national director for a CPG brokerage firm for 15 years. We stayed in touch over the next year and a half, came back together. Turned out he wasn't really happy where he was. And I just got this cash injection and I took the leap and asked Steve to come aboard. And he came aboard in February, 2018, leaving his job of 15 years, has like two kids, was doing like house rentals. And I was like, this seems really irresponsible. Like, (laughs) you know that I just like sell peanut butter, right? Like, but I was able to offer him a competitive wage and incentivized him with 2.5% of the company to come on. And he grew the company exponentially over the next few years and still continues to do that to this day. And he's just been my absolute right-hand man, deals with all of our growth, our retail sales, totally inside baseball. I've just been so fortunate to have a business partner come on and really help with the minutia because I'm a big picture person where Steve is like, I'm going to go set the promo calendars to keep us alive this year. And (laughs) I don't want to do any of that. So he's been, he's been an amazing asset for us. Yeah. Super important thing. I always tell people like hire for what you suck at. And I mean that lightly and that you could probably go and do it. Like you could learn it. You could do those things, but like, where is your zone of genius? Like where does Jill come alive? And if it's not doing the minutiae, you know, if it's not doing some of those other, like get it done stuff or the real like executor of things and you want to be in the more dream seat, you got to make that happen. And it's worth like, it's worth the extra expenditure to think about how much more your brain power will be freed up to be um, having someone else supporting those other avenues. Dope just made a couple of our first, like, I will say legit hires, you know, like a director of marketing and a director of operations. And it feels like, whoa, like, it's so nice to think about how much more momentum you can have when you're not being bogged down in so much of the execution. Like I was marketing employee one and only until we just hired this director of marketing. So it's just been you know, it's been a grind. So I love that. What a funny story about meeting each other. I give pints of dope to like literally everyone as well that I meet. It's the best marketing tool. A notary came to the house to sign paperwork for like when we were buying our home or refinancing our home. And I was like, do you like cookie dough? You know, it's like so funny. You're in all these formal situations where they usually probably don't accept food from strangers, but you know, they hear you talking about some cookie dough business. I'm like, do you like it? You should try some. Here you go. You just never know who you're going to meet. I've had amazing connections through doing that. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend. I think that was one of the things that I learned early on too, is that if you can be, be so generous with your product. Cause like if it's good and you believe in it, like giving it away, it goes so far. And we just always are making sure that we get people to try it. That's been the biggest impact that we can have on our business is once people try it, they're sold. There's no going back, but we just need to get it into their mouths. How do we do that? Yeah. Trial for the win. So what would you say has been the best part of entrepreneurship across the journey so far? Oh, man. Honestly, the freedom, like freedom, like look at all these tattoos I got. I'm never going to have a desk job again. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you never know. The times are changing. <laughs> I, well, I know, I know. But you know, like I, I believe strongly that the freedom that this has offered me, and I feel so fortunate. I really want to be clear about something too. I, I'm not a self-made business person. 
I rarely think there are people that are self-made, whether it's support from your family or whatever. Like I had so much help along the way. My, as I said, my family is like, they do well. My dad's a dentist. My mom was an academic and um, I've always been able to rely on them to like lend me startup money, like do some bridge financing. Like I got to borrow some money for like two weeks. Can I please have that? Having those like privileges in my life has like saved my business. But I've been so lucky. Like the minute I started to get into Fatso, building something from the ground up, something that was truly mine that I felt like I could really insert myself into the ability to take time. And I'm a big advocate for this. Like I, yes, I got into like the hustle and the grind and, you know, got to be working those 18 hour days. I don't subscribe to those ideas anymore. I think they're super dangerous and really unhealthy. So we like make sure that all of our employees like, Hey, don't worry about your vacation time. You take your vacation time. If it's a month, if it's two months, as long as the work's getting done, let me know. We make sure that people have good medical benefits. We make sure that they have outlets in other places because it can't always be about that job. And for me, like I've been so lucky to have a business that I've been able to really orient towards social justice. That was really where my heart was when I you know, got clean. I wanted to get into helping people and contributing to the world at large. We've done amazing work with like sex work advocacy and harm reduction, Black Lives Matter, Indigenous sovereignty, LGBTQ issues with a focus on trans issues and trans youth. We just released our micro grant program for current and former sex workers here in Victoria. And then we're launching our first ever LGBT youth grant this year with the Victoria Pride Society. And we've just always really been able to use our platform. So for me, that's been the best part of this is like, I get the freedom to enjoy my life you know, we have a really wonderful two-year-old at home after like a really, really intense battle with infertility and IVF and pregnancy loss, something that we experienced again recently and are starting to be hopeful again about getting pregnant at 41. So fuck it. Nice. <laughs> he says so fuck it. <laughs> Man, what a journey. Thank you for sharing some of that, uh, particularly, you know, this personal stuff that so many are affected by, but kind of stays in the shadows often. So you feel pretty isolated, like you're the only ones that can't get pregnant. So what a journey. And I'm glad you were blessed with the little two-year-old buddy. Amazing. How do you feel on that balance of like, you know, you mentioned the hustle and grind mentality for entrepreneurs and so many feel pressured that like, if I'm stepping back or slacking off, like someone else is getting ahead. What's your mindset on like the growth of the business? Like, are you trying to run sort of lifestyle business, like have fat so sort of live on forever under you? Are you trying to grow and sell it? Do you look towards VC? How do you balance that pressure with feeling like, oh, am I, you know, I think that's why so many feel like they got to keep going. They got to stay on. Yeah, you can do both. That's the thing <laughs> is I think people get like this killing it mentality, right? You always have to be killing it. And I fall prey to it so often. But what I realized is, hey, ideally, I'd like to grow this to exit. But I also don't want to sacrifice the best years of my life just so I can like have $300 million and be cool. But also what the hell am I going to do with $300 million? Like what is the end game? A lifestyle business too, like pay your employees well, pay yourself well, go on vacations, run a fun business that has value too. Like I, at this point, I can do both of those things. I don't have to work a 60 hour work week to have a strong exit eventually. You know, it will come if it's meant to come. Like I, I also have to remember, and this is like the humbling aspect is that you are, yes, super important. But if your product is good 
and you have good people around you, you will do well. And if your product is meant to go to national distribution, hitting that $40 million rev, starting to get interest from bigger buyers, it's going to happen, right? At my level and at your level, we're on that path. But I also like, I hate the way I feel when I see somebody do a $350 million exit and I go, why isn't that me? I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, why would you waste your time thinking about that? You have a great salary. You have a great job. You have wonderful employees. Like, be grateful for where you're at. And like, if you they're great, but like, why is $300 million this, like, what? I think that's the missing component for so many is the like, enjoy the journey. Like, what if you could make it where growing the business to these extreme levels was like, exciting, was fun, was enjoyable. And could accommodate a vacation. Like I is and I just took our it's literally the first vacation I can remember in my life that I actually didn't work. Even through my years at Intel, like always like you're always on, you're always ready. I would take meetings literally from like a cruise ship or wherever I was. Like I, I guess I felt guilty for checking out. And then once I started the company, it was like for many years there was just no question. Like there was no one who could I didn't have employees that were operating at like a management level versus you know, I was really like the orchestrator of the show and just could never trust to walk away. So this was the first time we got to really disconnect and, and separate. It was like, oh my God, I just needed this so bad. And it reminded me, like you said, if you've hired the right people, like the show will go on, things are going to be fine. It's going to continue. Like no one will die if those emails don't get responded to for, you know, another week. So yeah, mind you, I had 5,173 emails when I, <laughs> when I came back that updated today. So we're doing good. We're good though. The pro tip there is that I actually have an assistant who helps clear my inbox and like sort for me. So she got 5,000 emails down to 150 that I have to take action on, which is amazing. Epic. So highly recommend. That was a huge time saver. <laughs> like day to day, like I think for me, I just want to focus on the end game, which is what's going to make me happy and what's going to make the people around me happy. And if I can reset my perspective to that on a daily basis, then I don't have to lie awake at night and think about how I don't have self-worth because I'm not on a trajectory for $600 million in five years. Because that's A, not reasonable. And B is just like, it's a fast track to like some really poor mental health situations. Mm -hmm. So setting yourself up to be disappointed. Yeah. 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 Hey man, if it happens, I'll take your $600 million. I do like, I would just double that too. I was like 300 million. I I love it. Yeah, that was, it was aggressive. We had a, that was the fastest minute over minute growth I've ever seen. But that's amazing. I mean, I think it's a really nice kind of mental shift away from this, like, you've got to get it or else, but you're not alone in this feeling of like, imposter syndrome, like, am I going to be as good as them? Or how did they all get it? How are they there already? Instead of just thinking, how are you here where we are now already? Like, that's pretty incredible. So yeah, yeah. So one of the goals that dope has is to take the stigma out of addiction and mental health issues. You've talked a lot about both of them today. So what's one thing you wish that people knew about recovery? Oh, I sighed because I'm like, everything that's going to come out of my mouth is cliche. (laughs) It just is so much better. Like if you think you can't do it, you can. I am like the poster child for like, I'm never going to get clean. There's just no way. I just wish people knew that there is life on the other side of recovery. I'll go back to that first three months when I was doing like recovery out of spite. And this like just this moment about probably like a month and a half or two months in of like being very curious and surprised 
at this feeling of like well-being and happiness. And in that moment, that was enough for me to keep going. I don't need to have like a big successful business and like this big, beautiful family and like all of those other things that come along with it. That one feeling is enough to keep me going because it gives me like the impression of possibility, like chase that feeling that that's, we've chased those other feelings. I started to chase those really interesting moments of like organic happiness that started to happen in recovery. So I, that's enough. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to get everything I ever wanted because I used to be so scared when people are like, well, you may not get what you want, but you'll get what you need. And I was always like, no, 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 no. I need to get what I want because I'm doing the work and I'm doing this fucking master's degree and I want to go work to the UN. And if that's not my reality, then what happens? But being in the program and like having those ideas reinforced for me, help me be like open enough to be like, hey, I'm going to buy this peanut butter company. <laughs> yeah. Kind of pursuing that like day by day happiness, just being like, this is what makes me feel good like right now. And this is what give, is giving me passion, making me feel alive. And I'm going to lean into it and try instead of this preconceived notion of like what you thought it all needed to be or how risky this decision would be over another Well, let's jump into one of my favorite sections. It's our mental health recipe card as we wrap things up today. Amazing. Mental health is really critical to running a business, but often in conversations on how to be successful, this is left out. So for me, I've got my own sort of mental health recipe card with ingredients that keep me grounded each day. But what ingredients are on your mental health recipe card? Okay, there's the ones that I want on my recipe card and then there's the (laughs) ones that I actually do. 100%. Like I always say, as long as I can have, you know, say three of the 10 happening in a week or something, we're good. Yeah. What are a few of yours? Meditation. um, I try to do, I'm so fortunate. I work in like this co-working space and we have this, we have like a library slash meditation room, which is so great. So I've really been trying to do that, especially in the past two years because of like just COVID and a lot of the challenges that come with running a business during that period of time. I love to focus on giving myself a break, which can be figurative or literally. I'm trying to remove myself from this hustle and grind sort of mentality. So taking time, and I've really enjoyed that. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I'm going to take Friday off. I'm going to the spa. And then I ended up doing like spa, acupuncture, pedicure. And I was like, this is the best. Like I need to do this more often. And I know that's a, a really privileged form of self-care. But for me in that point of time, I really needed that in my life. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we go today, it's time for our raw truth game. These are rapid fire questions to reveal some raw truths about what makes you, you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to shoot these out at you. Okay. okay. What's your biggest guilty pleasure? Burgers. <laughs> Burgers. I love it. How would your friends describe you? I want to say outgoing, but probably loud. Those are so intertwined. I feel the same way. Like <laughs> aggressively loud, takes over a room, outgoing. We'll use yeah, that. No, I'm just okay. kidding. I, I feel the same way. <laughs> we got loud personalities. The thing that makes you the happiest? My family. The thing that you can't live without? Fake eyelashes. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Not what I expected. <laughs> just because I just got them in and they look really good. No, I have um, just good food. Good food. That was awesome. We'll take fake eyelashes for a hundred. Thank you. Okay. What's the song you sing in the shower? Oh my God. It's going to be a, some sort of version of Paw Patrol or Coco Melon right now. Don't judge me. <laughs> it's just in the brain. There you go. All right. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Blank gets me out of bed in the morning. My kid screaming in the kitchen. 
yeah. literally and figuratively, like the joy of uh, parenthood exactly. and then yeah, also yeah. that they're screaming. Yeah. Okay. And finally, what goal do you most want to achieve this year? Oh, oh it's supposed to be rapid fire, right? Yeah, just shoot it out. Personal, professional, neither. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. I think, you know what? I think I just want to feel like I've exited from COVID personally and professionally. I yeah. just want to leave this behind. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's been a big wait for sure. Yeah. Super critically, now that everyone's heard what kind of awesome stuff you're up to, where can they get in touch with you? And Fatso. Yeah, at Eat Fatso is our Instagram handle. And you can use, I'm, I'm on it all the time. So if you have something to say, you can pop in there. Or you can email me, uh, jill at eatfatso.com. You can drop me a line. But check out our website, which is eatfatso.com. Amazing. And you guys ship to the States and across Canada. We do. Yeah, do. nice. Amazing. Well, extra special thanks to you. It was awesome to hear you speak so openly about your journey into recovery and also just the joys that have come, joys and challenges that have come from entrepreneurship. (laughs) Big ups to you for being able to start a family. I'm so happy for that and what a tough journey it was. So amazing. And thank you for your candor today. It's awesome to have you. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. To the listeners out there, I hope you're feeling inspired to go out and make a change in the world. Until next time, I'm Kelsey, and that was Dope's Soberpreneur. Keep it raw, keep it real. But wait, there's more. Are you drooling after all this cookie dough talk? Jump over to dope.com. It's D-O-U-G-H-P.com to order some of our edible and bakeable cookie dough. You can use code KEEPITREAL for 10% off at checkout. Thanks, and have a dope day.